Hello and welcome to Casting Nets Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Will Harley. I'm joined here with the other bald, the beautiful, and freezing, I have heard, Don Winsberger, who is now in the chilliest part of of at least our two states. We are coming out of the basement here in the great state of Wisconsin, or at least the great upper part of the state of Wisconsin. And uh, you are still in the basement, right? Yes, yes. Uh, we're at the balmy high of zero today right now. Um, supposed to get down to 13 below tonight. Yesterday or last night, this last night it was down to 22 below zero. So, I, uh, I'm I'm telling you, I think um, I, I think this global warming thing is a crock. Uh, well, yeah, but you know, put your spin on it and call it whatever. You know, it, it's not going to convince everybody. Well, you know what? I have found out, and this is, and before we jump into our show today, I have found out something very interesting, and and I think that it's it's it needs to be said. We might not have solved global warming everywhere, but we have definitely solved it in Texas, and we have solved it in South Dakota, and I think we have approached solving it in Wisconsin. So we're on our way, people. If you are wondering, it's one state at a time. We're just knocking them down one state at a time. And Al Gore would be happy. <laughs> But here's the trade-off. Remember, once we solve global warming, you can't have electricity. Just ask anyone in Texas. Well, and ask anybody in winter this morning. Their power was out for an hour. So. There you go. There you go. So so There's we'll solve one, one problem and give you another. One side note, since uh, um, since hunting season is over, my Babylonian moniker has now been changed to from Bell Rover um, to Bell uh, to Bell Walleye. Um, swims with the fishes he who swims with the fishes it's almost like dances with wolves yes yes Yes. there you go well uh, as we jump in today we are going to be going back into our study of Daniel and we have some wonderful wonderful words from Daniel today as uh, uh, well I guess the best way to explain it you'll see the handwriting on the wall and uh, so before we jump into that, there's probably a good disclaimer that uh, the words that we are going to be saying, the opinions that we're going to be sharing are just that, our opinions, our rambling thoughts. Most of this is not scripted. In fact, none of it is. And they don't often reflect the opinions of our called church bodies or the opinions of the uh, of the I synod sure <laughs> <laughs> or the synod in which we are a part. Uh, we do, uh, of course, uphold uh, the scriptures. We uphold our our beliefs, our faith as well. Uh, if you don't like what we say, turn us off. Um, otherwise, uh, just sit tight, enjoy the show, give us your feedback as you as you would like. And uh, um, what do you think? Anything else there, Don? Let's right. roll. Let's roll. Every now and then you like to switch up the music, and and dear listener, um, if you are interested in us changing our intro music or our transitional music, please let us know because we're always interested in trying to find something a little bit more uh, upbeat or jazzy or, you know, it the music is like the most important part of the show because that's the most interesting part of the show. Um, what kind of music are they going to play? You know, oh, it's catchy and I'll wait to the end so I can hear it all over again. Um I hope that's not true, but sometimes it feels that way. <laughs> as we, so as we gather uh, today, let's uh, let's talk about Daniel, right? Uh, we've been we've been steeped in Daniel. Uh, we are now on the sixth chapter of Daniel, um, get, fifth chapter of Daniel. Wow! See, there you go. I was already jumping ahead. Fifth chapter of Daniel. Um, as we are looking at Daniel, I, I think our listeners need to sort of get an idea of a time frame first of all, because um, you know, Daniel is not a huge book, but it, man, it goes through an entire ministry of a prophet. Um, and, and this particular prophet is, is what, 64 years in the ministry. And, and so we, we kind of maybe need a, a little bit of a timeline. So maybe before we, we jump into where we are or maybe leading into where we are, you could give us a timeline of oh, just a rough estimate of where we are. We are uh, we are approaching uh, uh, Daniel probably is is, is it, just maybe to keep it basic and simple is approximately seventy years old right now. He's definitely a retiree, 
we seem to enter into a place in the timeline where, uh, in the timeline of Babylonian history, where uh, Daniel kind of just seems to be off in the background. He's not. He's no longer no longer seems to be in the position of authority that he was under Nebuchadnezzar. Um, just kind of maybe uh, still serving, still faithful, but more often to the background, not a whole lot of prominence. And then here he gets here in chapter six, the Lord brings him back into prom. And when I say prominence, where once again, you see a very critical point uh, in the juncture of Babylonian history. Yeah, and, and I think we have a jump in time, too. Um, sometimes I think people think at the beginning of chapter 5, since we go right from 4, where where we see the fall of Nebuchadnezzar and then him, him sort of being brought back to glory, you might say, um, or prominence in the in the kingdom, that sometimes we might think that that this new king who's going to be talked about here in, in chapter 5, Belshazzar, is, is this direct connection to... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and and I think history plays out a different, uh, a little bit of a different cycle. Um, in fact, for the longest time, historians thought that Belshazzar was um, was a made up guy, that that the scriptures just threw in a made up character to try to push the narrative along. Until we had found through archaeology uh, a cylinder right in Babylon, and and it, and it kind of gave us more information on yeah, there is a guy, Belshazzar, who who was around, and. And he was, um, I don't know if you want to call it a regent king, co-regent. Is that what they're called? Uh, he sort of, he sort of um, um, held co-kingship with another guy uh, by the name of what is it? Uh, I have it written down here. Um, isn't it Nabonidus. Nabonidus? Yes, Nabonidus. And and I know Nabonidus was was a guy who maybe thought more of trying to rebuild the glory of Babylon, while it seemed as if Belshazzar was more of the person who uh, liked to revel in in the joyful things of life. Um, we have uh, the possibility that that um, Belshazzar is I, I I would probably say time frame grandson, great grandson. Of Nebuchadnezzar, yes. Okay, yeah. So we could probably fill in on on saying that there is, you know, at least twenty years, if not thirty years, of time that have traf that that sort of gone by from chapter four's ending to to where chapter five maybe begins. Um, and chapter five begins at at a party. I, I think that's the best way of of saying it. It, it begins as a in, as as a party. Um, Belshazzar is, is getting a bunch of his people together, his wives, his concubines, his, his higher officials, and, um, they're going to have a feast and they're going to drink, um, and they're going to, going to, um, wallow in the splendor of which they think they have, which I think is an unusual thing because right outside their gates, it seems, um, an army is, if not approaching, is already there. And, and and this makes it a weird a weird circumstance. Don't you really see here a uh, I don't want to call it a caricature because it's really an accurate picture of, of the sinful nature. Um, you have this. You have uh, the enemy. You have uh, the, the Persian army um, camped out at the city walls. They have basically conquered the entire kingdom except for the capital and here is the co-regent the king the one who's really in charge of everything throwing a drunken um a drunken festival and so there you see really you know while we look at this and say this is just ludicrous no this is pretty much symptomatic and descriptive of the sinful nature and then it doesn't stop there drinking and and uh uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, the drunkenness, uh, the, the, the frivolity of the, of the party and so forth. Then you start to get a real picture of uh, Belshazzar's uh, sinful nature. Uh, oh, well, let's start drinking out of the sacred objects of, the, of, 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 of Judah's temple. Um, let's get those out and drink and party with those. Um, and... Uh, uh, I like the way one 
one of my uh, sainted uh, seminary professors said, you know, because he'd say in situations like this, uh, be not deceived. God is God will not be mocked. And we see we see the proverbial uh, 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 waste matter hitting the fan. Yeah. And, and I think it even gets worse than that because they take like you said, they take those those um those utensils, the, the the cups and the chalices and the things dedicated to the service of the Lord in the temple, and 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 then they go and they they immediately apply them to the worship of things made of gold, silver, iron, and wood. Um, these things made by hand. Uh, Martin Luther, right, uh, uh, the sage uh, monk of the 15th century. Um, you know, he used to say the 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 human heart is an idle factory. And you see this very, very prevalent here in, and of course, the the way that Belshazzar is acting. I mean, he's got all these people together with him. And and I'm wondering, maybe in the background, is is this frivolity, um, arrogance, because they thought they were in the unconquerable city? Uh, I mean, for the longest time, I, you have Babylon um, is marked as this city that, that no one can get through its walls, almost like a Jericho um, from ages past. And, and so you, you maybe see, like, yeah, the army is out there. Um, you know, at this time, the Medes and the Persians have surrounded Babylon. I, I mean, that, was not a, that wasn't a, um, a, a hidden thing. I mean, they were there. We're going to find out real soon that, that, I mean, like, that night, they're going to be, you know, inside the castle. Um, but maybe there's this idea of there's this fravility that's going on because we're in this and we're this impenetrable city. I can be arrogant. I can be prideful because we have never fallen. We will never fall. Um, and we can hide behind our walls. And the Euphrates River is going to feed us, right? Uh, we are going to have everything come through that. Uh, we have nothing to worry about. Um, and and I, I think you have a, a very clear picture of... Um, a very clear picture of what later David is going to talk about when he connects Belshazzar to Nebuchadnezzar. And here, and you know something, maybe we have here just a little bit of an example, a vague, vague example. I'm not saying that I don't even want to go so far as to say that, uh, that this is anything prophetic of what's going on now, but it, it is something that gets my attention. You have, you have Belshazzar's failure, and again, another example of the sinful nature, failure to learn um, a lesson from the arrogance of his grandfather, um, where God stepped in, when, when God stepped in and, and humbled Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar here, again, he has reached a level of arrogance um, and, and, uh, and not learning from not learning from from his grandfather in in any way, shape, or form, and actually, if you want to, you could. I think you could legitimately, some or semi legitimately say that he even stepped it up a notch. Well, and I think you know you'd 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 you sort of gave this um, the preface that you don't think that it's it, it may or may not have a connection to our society today, but I think it does, in the sense that that. Um, our society has this natural, ten I think all human society does in some ways, but has this natural tendency to repeat things that have already been tried and they convince themselves we can do it better. Um, that in, in, in this case, I'm going to say, um, you know, how many times has rebranded socialism, branded communism, branded, uh, utopian society, whatever you want to call it, it's been tried. It's been tried ab nauseum throughout history. I mean, it, it is not, it, it wasn't as if, um, you know, the United States is the first to think of it or Russia was the first to think of it or Germany was the first to think of it. I mean, Rome thought about it. Rome thought that they could master it. Greece thought that they could master it. Um, all of these different societies had this uh, this idea that that they could master somehow um, that idea of of socialism, idea of 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 everyone sharing and everyone living in kumbaya circles because we all were thinking of the betterment of other people, and it's never ever succeeded ever. But now we have it in our head again, right? But they were never they were never 
United States so we could do it better. And, and, and that can applies well, to everything. But once again, that goes, that goes to the sinful. That once again, that comes back to the sinful nature. And I'm in complete agreement with what you're saying. And it not only goes with something like that, it goes with, um, with uh, uh, how many times do I hear Christians saying today, um, those who don't learn from history are doomed to imitate it. Um, and, uh, and, and so when you look at all, when you look and and let's get to the root problem with other, with other empires, I don't want anybody to walk away. And I know you, you're not trying to bring this up or, or make it sound like this way either. Don't want anybody to think that what we're doing is, is, is we're saying is there that the downfall of socialism, what we're saying is, is this, it's the attitude. It's the attitude of the sinful nature that says, that says, uh, um, that I can leave God out of the picture and still be successful. Well, and go beyond that. Let's and and you're right, absolutely. But it's not just leave God out of the picture and be successful. It's leave God out of the picture and continue to do the same thing, and it will change, and I will yes. be successful. Yes. So, and, and and dear listener, okay, you know, I just used I just used one that because. Let's just face it. The reason we're in Daniel is because we are frustrated with what we're seeing out in the in the world today. But that frustration is not just limited to politics. That frustration is limited is is not just limited to to that the, that area of the world. I mean, the frustration of 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 the the unwar- unmarried couple right who are living together, and the the young woman who comes in and sits in your office and says. Uh, pastor, it's not working out. Um, I broke up with so-and-so. And then you, you counsel them and say, okay, what have we learned? Well, I've learned that, that of course, you know, this wasn't right, that he wasn't the right person. And, and, and you walk them through, right? We, we walk them through this. It wasn't God-pleasing. And all of a sudden, they get into another relationship, right? And the very first thing that happens, all of a sudden, you get wind of is, oh, look, they're shacked up again. And I'm sorry for using the word. I know some people find it crass, but they're shacked up again, Right. And, and you go and you talk with them and you sit them down and you say, you know, we just had this. We just went through this. You had, you had come to terms that this is not a God-pleasing way of doing this. This is not a good approach to this. And they say, but pastor, you don't understand. Fill in the blank. Yep. This, this is going to be different, right? Yep. This is going to be di- This time it's going to be different. And, and how many times can you play the same card? How many times can you do the exact same thing? Before you realize it's not any different. The point is that's what the sinful nature does every day. You know, you got that. I look at uh, COVID situation right now. We've shut, you know, for a long time, you know, about this time last year, we started seriously looking at um, shutting down worship. How long, for how many months did we do it online? Yada, yada. Now, here in the state of South Dakota, um, we have... You know, and restrictions have not been as anywhere as close to as tight as they have been out in your area. But now things are starting to approach to normal. Now I have people that, uh, okay, I can't come to church because I'm afraid of COVID, but they're at the school gym. They, they don't miss they don't miss a basketball game or a volleyball game. They're not wearing a mask. They're up there together, but can't come to church because I'm going to catch COVID there. Yeah, well, you do know that church is the super spreader. Um, just, I'm just saying, that's, yeah. I mean, you know, it's not a gymnasium filled with people with poor ventilation. No. It's it's the church where we have poor ventilation. And uh, getting away from my bleeding sarcasm, <laughs> which my sinful nature is also real good at. And my sinful nature often thinks that my bleeding sarcasm will somehow eventually win somebody over to my opinion and point of view and it never does well you've won me over but that's because my sarcasm is about the same <laughs> but i but, but i think yeah you, you say you like you say with this um it's this and this is that it's really another it, it's not a caricature of the sinful nature it really is an accurate description um yeah, this this particular behavior, yeah, and, and we'll even call it sinful behavior, hasn't worked out well for anybody in the past. This is what my sinful nature says, but my situation's different, and it's going to work out this time. Yeah. And it doesn't. And then I am surprised and upset 
and whatever, when it all blows up, going, well, huh? That it, and, and you know something, looking at my own sinful nature helps me to maybe be a little bit more understanding, a little bit more tactful with somebody whose sinful nature has the best of them in the area with socialism or whether it's other some other type of public type of behavior. Because really, you know what, I like to think to myself, my sinful nature likes to think I'm immune from that. I don't think that way. Well, yeah, you do. Well, and I think that's, you know, and, and, and I'm glad you sort of went this way before we, we continue on with the tale of, of what's going on in David or Daniel. Um, I, I think we need to realize very, very importantly that when we as pastors or we as people confront other people that we have a disagreement of, right, or, or a disagreement with, we, we must take, I think, our Lord's words very seriously, right? Um, the, what you, the, the rule, the measure by which you judge, you too will be judged. Um, also, you know, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus says, you know, why are you worried with the speck in someone else's eye when you have a plank in your own? And sometimes we use that and we say, okay, well, that means um, the Lord very, very aptly does not want us to judge somebody else. And that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is, if you are judging somebody else on what you do and what they don't do, then you're wrong. That Just flat out, you're wrong. Because what you do isn't all that perfect, and what they're doing isn't all that perfect. But if we are both being judged, all of us being judged, on the very word of God and God's law, then rightfully we are all judged, because that's what the law does. And so when we, we, when we look at someone and we apply God's law to both of us, to all of us, and we say, we've all fallen short, that is an appropriate use. And, and, and when we don't do that, instead we say, look at me compared to you, and I'm so much better, and you should be like me. Now, shame on us. And, 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 and really, that's where the measure comes in and says, now we're going to measure you, right? And God looks at us and says, here am I, and here's where you're supposed to be, and where are you? And, and that's going to take a turn for the worst. Um, but, but leading with Daniel, of course, um, he's in the middle, so Belshazzar, uh, middle of partying, reveling. He has transgressed the holy things of God. He has mocked God by by the worship of uh, of these false, man made, horrible idols, and um, something miraculous happens. Uh, uh, we have a, a disembodied hands, right? Disembodied hands uh, that appear. Something to make Wes Craven proud. Yeah. Yeah, and and this is uh this is not one of those. Hey, that's cool. It's a very very uh, fearful moment. Um, in fact, Belshazzar um, recognizes that this is a uh, um uh, an ill omen, right? And he loses his his control of his legs, his muscles, his face goes goes pale. Um, I mean, granted, he was, which is really hard to do when you're drunk, because your face is probably nice and red, and now he goes pale. Um, and so uh. Yeah, so we have writing on the wall. Um, we're not told what it says yet because Belshazzar decides to do what his dad did, which you would have thought he would have learned by now. What does he do? He calls for, actually, first of all, he makes a, a really rash promise. It kind of reminds me of uh, King Herod with Salome. You know, I'll, I'll, you know, uh, I'll give you, I'll give you, Whatever you ask up to half the kingdom, it's almost like that. Nebuchadnezzar says, t- t- "Explain this to me, um, and uh, I'll make you. I'll make you a tr- uh, part of a triumvirate, third, third in command, um, third in command, uh, uh, together with me and my father." Uh, if I remember correctly, he does call for he does call for for the wise men. And the sages and all of that again. Yeah, he does. Uh, which uh, I mean, how many times? Well, here's my comment on that. Uh, stepping back just a little bit, my comment on that is: Do you do you find how amazing it is that in in pretty much every every single chapter, for the first five chapters of Daniel, we have um, God making a mockery of the wise men of Babylon. 
I mean, maybe Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace is is maybe a questionable section there, but but pretty much for the rest of it so far is is God stepping back and letting the wise men of of Babylon, who thought they were so great and glorious, make a fool of themselves. Well, they're supposed to be the mouthpieces for um, for the Babylonian gods. Um, what better what what better me- what better way to do things to give the rulers the message your gods are nothing? Oh, of course. I agree. But I just think it's, it, you know, it, it happens repeatedly. I mean, it happened in the very beginning, right? It, it and, and it also explains here, too, um, you know, I look, because I think some, I know some Bible teachers, Christians have asked, well, okay, well, Belshazzar isn't considered here to be the brightest bulb on the tree to begin with. But um, why didn't he, you know, knowing what happened with Nebuchadnezzar and so forth, why didn't he, why didn't he call Daniel right away? Well, you know what? Nebuchadnezzar didn't do that either. Here's part of the arrogance of unbelief, the arrogance of the Bab, uh, and the arrogance of the Babylonian people. It's, you know, Again, in, if, if you call them, it's a very humbling thing to call, first of all, a vanquished enemy to come and help. Much less than that that vanquished enemy is an outspoken, avowed follower of, uh, of, uh, of Jehovah, of the true God. Right. Which you um, don't agree with. And you know, it's it, here once again. Here's that frivol, or here's that idiocy of the sinful nature. Common sense, or if you want to call sanctified judgment, says, "Well, two times this has happened before. Maybe I should go to it this third time." But here's that thing. Well, oh, this is how it's worked in the past. It's uh, it's going to work out different this time. Here's another example of that. Uh, uh, it, oh yeah, the the sages and the wise men didn't work before, but it's going to work this time. Right, right. Over and over and over again, let's give them more chances to to show that they are not able to do what they are able to say they can do. It works this time. We can forget about everything in the past. So, so I want to I want to just bounce off that a little bit because I like where you're going with that, and 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 now we got some more to to talk about because we got to talk about what was written on the wall, but. Let me just follow this for a little bit. How is it or why is it when when you have all of these false beliefs, and it's happening today too, in the world today with people all around, all these false beliefs, all these false predictions, all of these false things that people try to say, I live my life by, and this, are the, this is the best, and this is the, the greatest, you know, um, whatever, it, if it's yoga and downward dog, or if it's... If it's um, you name it, whatever you think it is, uh, all of these false claims to find answers, these false claims to to um, make yourself know more or or be better or have more success, and they all fail. Every single one of them fails. I mean, every now and then they might might succeed in a small portion, but by and large, every single one of them fails. And the thing that I find amazing is we keep trying the new trick we, we or go back to an old trick. We keep trying one and keep trying and we keep trying, thinking that somehow the the, the change will be different, that, it, that it's going to... We talked a little bit about that in, in politics and life, but also in religion, that it, somehow it's going to change, right? Um, if I try harder, if I do better, um, if I present myself in this way, um, it's going to be better. And we always say we can, we can change. We can always say we'll try to do better. But then whenever it comes to Christianity, if, have you noticed? It's like it's one and done. Um, I'll try Christianity. Let me pray to God, and if He doesn't answer my prayer the way I want it to be answered, how I want it to be answered, then I'm just not going to. Up, oh, He must not be real, and I'm I'm done with that now. Have you noticed that? Yes. Why is that? You know, once again, it it it, it, it it's really a next. It's really a definition of the sinful nature. This whole thing it reminds me of one of my uh, uh, a Christian that I was that I used to serve once. He would use this illustration. 
Um, uh, and it's kind of funny how this person could see it in other people, but couldn't see it himself. But often an illustration he'd like to use is he says, you walk up to a hot stove and you touch the burning. Oh, that hurts. Touch it again. Oh, ouch, that hurts. Ouch, that hurts. Ouch, that hurts. How many times do you have to keep doing that before you figure it out? That's not a good thing to do. Um, and 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 it, and using in using this man as an illustration, he could see it for everybody else and couldn't see he was doing the same thing himself. Uh, we all and we we've been through this discussion here just a few minutes ago. We're all all of our sinful natures are like this. It's again, it it it, it it's it's you you and I we 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 preached this we preached a sermon a long time ago. But I I hate to quote this man. He's not uh, <laughs> uh, uh, he's not uh, um, he's he's not a religious man by any any means. But here is a here is a saying. Here's his punchline that does hold true. And I do believe it's in in a way it's biblical. I used it as a, as a sermon theme. You can't fix stupid, or only God can fix stupid. That was the but sermon theme. Stupid. Yeah, we're all we're we're, we're I mean, uh, our sinful nature is stupid. It makes no there there is no common sense to it. None. Another one, Bill Cosby. Uh, you know, talking about uh, talking about the sinful nature, and he said. How we're born, how how we're born into this world, brain damaged. Right, right. Well, and, but I, and I, here's what I, and that has to be the case. I mean, it, it really does because how else can we justify the the myriad of attempts that we give to things that that can do nothing, and and then look at and and then look at at faith, look at um, our Lord, and say, okay, you got one chance. One chance to do what I've asked you to do. When, when I mean, it's just the absurdity of it. I mean, granted, this isn't the section, but I mean, it's it's sort of like the 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 whole Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Our God can rescue us from the fiery furnace, but if He doesn't want to, I'm okay with that. You know, um, um, what a thing of faith to be able to say that uh, He can do it. He just doesn't. If He doesn't want to, He won't. Um, but like just coming back and repeating over and over and over again it's just idiotic idiotic just just the 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 idea that we continue to spend our effort in things that have no lasting value whatsoever and then we we condone it as good and and, and pleasing and we avoid the things that are truly good and god pleasing but, but where the issue comes i like how you said that things that have no lasting value our sinful nature the all our sinful natures feel that we have something God wants. Sure. That's where it starts. Our sinful natures, yours, mine, all our listeners, every single human being who's existed and will ever exist has this feeling there is something I have that God wants and God can use. But isn't that our hearts? Doesn't God want my heart? If you can't understand the sarcasm in there. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I do. <laughs> because what what does God say? What does Jesus say about the heart? From from the heart proceed all 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 sorts of sin, murders, thefts, false witnesses, adulteries, and the like. Um, our heart, and when I talk about these, you know, and even we have to remember that even as the as a Christian, with a living with a new man, the new man of faith. Um, all my righteous acts are like filthy rags. Uh, even the things that God uses, he uses despite me and in spite of me, not because they're not because they have worth. Yeah. And, and realizing, uh, you know, all the good things that God counts to us are the good things he already did and placed in advance for us to do and set up for them to be done and gave for us to want to do them. So they're all really his credit, not ours. Um, but that, and what a, what a way to look at that and say, you know, uh, what's special? I, I, I've, I've had that conversation before with, with, with some people who, you know, you get into those conversations with, with some of the church bodies out there that'll say, well, you know, I gave my heart to Jesus and, and, and I was snarky one day. And when I got into a conversation like that and I just said, um, what, what would he want with that ugly thing? 
and, and it's true, probably not the most evangelist, uh, evangelistic way of saying it, but it, it's true to say, what, would he, what does he want with that? And, and that's the amazing part of grace, right? The amazing part of grace is undeserved love. Why does God do this? Because he loves us. Why? I don't know. One of the great mysteries of, of, of our Lord is, I know myself well enough. I don't know you as well as you know you, but I know you well enough to know that, that only God can love you, and I still don't know why. Well, and your wife. And I've been asking her that. And, yeah. But it's one of those and, things. We just don't understand. And it's and it's interesting to, you know, we, we can say, okay, we know what grace looks like. It's Jesus Christ on the cross, right? That is what grace looks like. Undeserved love, uh, that he, he loved enough to send his son to die for us. That is what it looks like. But it doesn't answer the question why. It, it does not answer the question why. Well, you know what? No, it doesn't. And it's, we, you know, we kind of hit it. You and I, we've talked about this, you know, a little bit this morning, too. Uh, it comes down to it is, and again, it's it's incomprehensible. It's it, 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 great. I mean, it really is grace, God's love. Um, the Bible tells us God is love. He is love personified. And you know what? It's a simple truth, but it's one that's profound to, for somebody, for any Christian to arrogantly say, I completely understand that. You, it, you can't. No. And, and and understand how it works. And I mean, we understand the how, right? How is it given to us? We understand that. Um, the why is the the why is where it's right is what makes it profound. Absolutely. And and so um, we have a profound message that's given. This one not out of love, but more out of out of uh, justice, right? Um, the profound message that is given by um, <clears throat> the hand of the Lord. Uh, he doesn't know how to read it. Doesn't know what it well, probably knows how to read it, doesn't know what it means. Um, finally, the queen, probably his grandma or mother, um, comes to the party, not because she likes to party, but because she's she makes an appearance because that's what royalty does. Um, and she says, uh, fear not, I know somebody who can read this and 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 who is uh who is holy and has uh, has the gift from the gods, as she says. And she brings up Daniel and says he's he's part of the slaves that were brought from, from Judah, from Israel. And so they bring Daniel in now. So Daniel is now present in the court, and uh, Belshazzar offers the same thing. You can become a triumvirate, right? You can co-rule with us. Um, if you can answer this, you give all this wealth. And I love how Daniel says, I don't want it. You can keep it. I mean, Daniel knows something that Belshazzar doesn't know, which is it means absolutely nothing in the next couple hours. Um, and you can almost you almost got to smile at that because Daniel's like, <laughs> I mean, in in the EHV um, translation, they put in an exclamation part when Daniel says that because it's like he's like, nope, you can keep it. That's nope, not a problem. Um, and, uh, and and then he goes right into um, a recapping of Nebuchadnezzar. Right, he goes right into a recapping of of who Nebuchadnezzar was and and how Belshazzar connects with them. And I'm going to let you do the translation work on on what was done. So I'm going to give you just the rundown. He he kind of says, you know, Nebuchadnezzar was arrogant and he was prideful, and um, guess what? He was humbled because the Lord humbled him. Um, and he was, uh, again, going back to, to chapter 4, um, he was made as low as the beast, fed hay, just like the bulls. Um, and, and, and now he says to Belshazzar, he says, guess what? You are just like Nebuchadnezzar was. The only difference is you're not humble and haven't been humbled and refused to listen to, to the humbling um, that, that has been given. And so um, he then turns and he looks at the, the handwriting on the wall and he uh, he reads it for us. So, what do we got? Three words. Two of them are repeated. Uh, many many tekel uh, parson, um, and Daniel translates them. Um, and actually, those three words are 
And and actually, it's kind of it's kind of strange here too because it's almost kind of like they're in in if you understand Aramaic, um, it's a it's it's a, it's a play on words, where you have basically this is the message counted, weighed, and divided, um, and uh, and so what you have so what you have here even with that word divided, which is which with Parson or Perry's, you have a, a word play on the word Persians there. They're sitting right on the they're sit they're sitting right on the. Uh, on the brink, and this is the message: it's done. It's done tonight. Um, uh, so, I mean, it, you know, uh, uh, for Daniel to be able to give a message like that too, how often, in the case of human in, uh, history, with emperors and kings and so forth, when a messenger has brought, and even you find it in the Bible with with kings of Israel and Ju- with kings of Israel and Judah, uh, prophets or people brought. But um, uh, unfavorable message to the kings; they were immediately killed. Um, Daniel wasn't Daniel wasn't worried about that. I'm not saying that he took pleasure in the message that he was giving. It was was giving to Belshazzar, um, but he gave it. Um, and then, you know, my next question is here: is, is this is this a is this a message of pure law? Um, or what is there a possibility? And I don't know. I'm not saying I, I, I'm not saying I necessarily know the answer to this. That's why I'm asking it. Was this a is was this a last was this a lat was this a an a, a last ditch effort reaching out to Belshazzar, um, trying to turn him around? Just you know, here at the end. I mean, his judgment was sealed. I mean, his judgment, his judgment here on earth sealed. But was this the was this the Lord reaching out to him, asking him to repent too? You know, I I thought about that as I was re going over all this, and and one of the things that I I I kind of went back and just was toiling with was the doubling of the first one, mene mene. Um, and we have the one where you know we know that mene is like you said counted or measured. Um, and and one of the things that I thought was. You know, that one doubling of that word um, already shared the grace forgotten. He counted, God counted him twice. He counted him the first time and said, you know what, I, I could make my decision. But he counted it again. Um, he doubled it up. He counted it again and, and, and came to the same conclusion. Um, and, and I think there was, the, I, I think there's some, in, there, there's an interesting idea of, you know, God's not rash in his decisions. God's not rash in his just his justice. Um God God doesn't just willy-nilly say, "Okay, I'm going to I'm going to smite you with my with my almighty smitiness." Um he he he's patient. Um and you see yeah. the patience in that. Many many. I I I measured you twice. I I measured you twice and you you fell short. You 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 were you were light. You were you were not heavy enough. It's kind of like that line from a knight's tale. You have been weighed, you have been measured, and you have been found wanting. Yes. Absolutely. And 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 you know, that's but I think the I think if we limit it and say, okay, it's it counted, measured, and found wanting, we can get we we, we race our way through that. And and it's something nice to say, because cause there is the question, where's the grace in this, right? And 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 I think now, the grace where's, is in that doubling. Chapter five here. I don't know if there is something that you could necessarily put your hammer or your your finger on and say here is this would be the closest you could get to it with the patience that right. would be the right I I would agree that the closest you could get to it is to say God is patient and he he measured him twice he counted him twice um you know he he gave every opportunity to do the best he, to to say there is there is absolutely no reason why I shouldn't enact my justice now. Um, and actually, if you look at the translation of those words, counted, weighed, divided, you could also, I mean, weighed, the tekel part is actually, you could, that's the, that's a, it's really a, tr- a tripling as well, too, of the concept. Right. 
Right. He not only counted it out, he not only, you know, it, it looks right, but then he went and double and triple checked it, right? I'm gonna measure I'm gonna measure you against the weights. Um now it's the divine scale and yep. and perfection of course is is the divine um the divine weight on that scale. And so you have this divine scale that that they just don't stand up to. They they and when they try to cover themselves and they try to have false gods to cover them, you're never gonna come up with it, ever. Um, the only one that can cover us on those divine scales is Christ himself. Um, you know, it's kind of an interesting—and uh, and here's my thought, and we don't have to spend a ton of time on it, but, you know, in throughout throughout history, throughout ancient history, um, the scales of judgment have always been a thing. Uh, and, and they are even now Lady Liberty within our own culture. The scales of justice are always this thing. And I just remember in the, in the Egyptian culture, um, you know, you would— you would be brought to Anubis, and 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 he was the the arbiter of the underworld, and you would place your 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 life on the scales, and it would have to match up to a feather. And if it was lighter than a feather, you were able to go into to joy, and if it was heavier than a feather, you weren't. Here we seem to have the opposite, right? That you were they were found lighter than. The, the, the weight of perfection. It, it's kind of, I find that a, a kind of a neat term that, that, that God understands that the weight of perfection is very heavy, right? The, the weight of perfection yeah. is, is a profound thing. And once again, you see the, you, you see the craziness of the sinful nature looking at that. And, and uh, you know, you have, and, and, if the, and this is an, an attitude, a downfall of humanity in so many ways. It's not perfection. It's the term "good enough," and it, it and it's and it's uh, amazing on how when you look at that term and terminology "good enough," that uh, everybody's got their own definition of what "good enough" is. Right, right, and and it's never God's definition because God's definition of "good enough" is perfect. Yeah, and the and the and the strange thing is, is that well, you know, we teach this in our our confirmation and instruction classes. Nowhere does nowhere does the Bible ever say be good. It, yeah. it doesn't use the concept of good enough. It does, and it, and and nowhere do you ever hear the Lord, uh, do you hear God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit ever addresses people and say be good now. So you're saying God never anywhere in Scripture says uh, um, try? No. Try to live a God-pleasing life? Um, yeah, but we always, that becomes part of our, our repertoire all the time, doesn't it? Yeah. Where, where God, or where we yeah. think God says, well, as long as I try hard enough, or as long as I attempt, um, I, that's a God-pleasing thing. Sainted, Sainted Seminary Professor Sigbert Becker preached a Reformation sermon when I was in college one time, I never had the privilege of being able to sit in the classroom with him, but he preached a Reformation sermon with the theme, how good is good enough? Um, one of the most profound um, biblical sermons I ever heard preached, but I mean, which again, hitting right into the core of the, of the sinful nature, to, hitting to the foundation of the, of the sinful nature, how good is good enough? We use that term so much. And when you use that term good and good enough and, and go along that line of thinking, there is never any hope. There is never any certainty. Um, uh, there's, there's, there, there's only fear and dread uh, or denial. Right. Uh, and that is, that is one of the, beauty, the beauties about middle of the road Christianity, which I like to call, which I like to call biblical Lutheranism. Um, is the fact that it brings certainty. It wipes away doubt. Uh, uh, that That's pure gospel. The gospel is meant to bring certainty and, 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 to, and to answer all questions of doubt. Right. And, and, and that is what the gospel brings. The gospel in Christ brings, um, there's nothing you have to do, nothing you bring to the table, nothing that you have done enough of, and everything is done in Christ, and he declares over you. It's it's finished. Um, what a way to to take a look at um, at at really the end of of Daniel chapter five here, because right after he's done, what do we have? It is finished, right? It, yes, 
You have, uh, you know, I've also find just as we were talking here, just something that I noted in the case of world history and archaeology, just the way that world history has played out with archaeology on this matter. Um, looking at why it took so, why there's very little archaeological evidence of Belshazzar and in the case that it took so long to find the scant bit of information that there is out there about him outside of scripture um, says something to, to a bit about his character. Um, just because uh, uh, the victors, um, uh, you know, well, we, we all know with history, if uh, history is written by the victors, but here for the simple fact that Belshazzar he he was the last um he was the last babylonian uh king um together with his father nabonidus um but you notice here too his care because ba basically hit babylonian history was almost silent about him that says something about his character i mean usually you get snakes like that and I and, and 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 that's not the right term to use. Forgive me, but just for a lack of better of a better term, that that really to me explains to me why why the the his the his the history and archaeological records aren't full of him, because you know what he was a schmuck. Yeah, but I mean we have that same thing in the Book of Kings when you you get later on to the Book of Kings and you have evil kings that that really did nothing and and they're just a blip on the radar. Um, just, uh, just another thing we have to get over before we get on to something better. Um, and, uh, and we're going to get to something better coming up here, um, in, in the next week, um, we have a chance to talk about Darius, um, and a new kingdom. So now this will be the, the next week marks the number three, uh, governmental shift that Daniel is going to live through. And, um, so if you think isn't, it's, that an, isn't that a neat commentary on um and I'm gonna say a subtle commentary from God on this? You look at three empires and uh the only constant in him in it is his faithful mouthpiece. Yeah. Yeah, God is the only constant, uh his prophet is the only constant, his his servants are the only thing that are are that transcend it. Um you know what? Maybe that's the best place for us to end because that's the hope that we need right now is that yes. that even as the world is continuing to shift like the sands of time and is tossed about by the waves, um, the only constant is the rock upon which the church is built. I think yep. that's a good way to go. Kingdoms rise and wane. And yet the Lord lives forever. Yes. Thanks for listening. Join us next week as we continue in the book of Daniel.